Basically, I think this is our third message in a sermon series we've started called The Way. And it's about becoming disciples of Jesus. So before we jump into that, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 6 starting out. But let's just pray together here as a church. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your spirit and presence. And God, we just thank you for how good you are to us, Lord, when we don't deserve it. Lord, you're always here for us. And God, you're always here to give us grace and mercy and forgiveness, Lord, when we need it. And Father, I I pray this morning specifically for people that are dealing with sickness and affliction. Lord, so many people that are dealing with various kinds of sickness, but I pray that in the midst of that, God, you would eradicate all fear from their lives, that you would grant them peace, and that you'd minister healing. Lord, we got people in our church, Beverly Nelson, that's battling cancer. And Father, we just pray that you would continue to minister healing into her body. And Father, you know every need in this house. And I pray as we open your word, God, that you would use it to transform who we are and make us more like Jesus. We surrender to you this morning, Holy Spirit. And we ask you to have your way in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. So, so we started talking about Jesus. And really, Jesus, when he called people, he didn't just say, hey, I want you to go to church. I want you to get as much Bible knowledge as you can possibly get. Here's some truths that you need to believe. He did not call us only to believe. And I know sometimes that's what we think because there's even like verses, you know, only believe. And and we think, well, all you got to do is believe in Jesus. But see, when Jesus called us, he didn't say, here's some doctrine to believe. He said, follow me, learn of me, look at my way of life, put into practice the things that I'm doing because this is not just a doctrine that you believe, but this is a way of life that you live. And he invited us into becoming disciples or followers of Jesus Christ. And so he invites all of us into this place. And to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, we talked about three specific things that he said. He said he called them that they might be with him. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. That they might be with him that they might become like him and then ultimately they would start doing what he did and practice doing what he actually did. So today I want to talk about becoming like Jesus. Becoming like Jesus. You know, one time a guy said, and I think Donald adopted this, but he, he always would say to me, you teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. And that's a frightening thing to me because I love knowledge. I read a lot. And, I, 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 and, and that's just kind of the way that I'm wired. And I can get up here and teach all day. I can teach for hours and enjoy it. But see, what I teach, I can teach what I know. But I'm going to ultimately reproduce what I am. The only way that I'm going to ultimately change you is by... by the, the teaching does something, but it's when we spend time with one another and our lives rub up against one another. See, Jesus was teaching, and he was a teacher, and his teaching was having an impact on the lives of his disciples, but it was his lifestyle day in, day out that was shaping them, that was reproducing Christ in them. And so we can teach what we know, but we ultimately reproduce who we are. And so that's the thing. It's not necessarily about... You can have all the Bible knowledge in the world and still be a terrible human being. Did you realize that? Matter of fact, I know a lot of people who have all kinds of Bible knowledge and are terrible human beings. Amen. Say, Clay, you may be one of them. Bless God. I mean, you got... You got a lot. But see, we have that issue. And so here's what Jesus said. He, he told a parable in Luke chapter 6, 39, uh, verse 39 and 40. He said, it says, He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Now, I want you to imagine that. A blind man leading a blind man. He said, will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, 
will be like his teacher. Now, when he talks about the blind, I think he's speaking specifically about the Pharisees. But here's what he's saying to everybody. He's saying, you know what? You can actually be a disciple, but you can be a disciple of a blind man. You can follow teachers and leaders who don't know where they're going either. You can follow teachers and leaders who are blind and you're following them and they're leading you into the same pit that they're going into because they don't see the truth that is in Jesus Christ. And so he's giving that, but then he talks about how that a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained, notice that, fully trained is an important phrase because he's saying that there are actual levels and degrees of transformation and training. Like you can be just that Christian that comes to church on Sunday or you can be that Christian that even just comes on Christmas and Easter, right? You know what I'm talking about? But then you can become a Christian who says, you know what, I think I'll crack my Bible open. I think I may read it a little bit and get some of the Word of God in me. Then you can become a Christian who learns how to pray. Then you can become a Christian who gets involved in serving. Then you can become a Christian who has such a deep, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus that when people hang out with you, they actually notice that there's something different about you. There are different levels of training. And he says when you are fully trained, he says you begin to become like your teacher. And this is what we want. We want to become like our teacher. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you about three graphs today. Y'all like graphs, don't you? We're, te- we're teaching this morning. Praise God. We're teaching. I'm going to try to stay calm. So I've shared this with you before, and I don't have time to go through all this because I'm going to share uh, some others. And last year I shared this, but I, I made this several years ago whenever I was being taught by some professors in seminary. Here's one thing that I learned about seminary. Like when, when dudes go to Bible college, I've been, y'all, you know what I'm saying? I got a master's degree in theology and all that. Whoop-de-doo. But see, what we, what we do in seminary often is we emphasize the top part of that. We emphasize the note. It's essential. Can I tell you that studying the Bible and doctrine, knowing God's Word, reading and learning is essential to your spiritual growth. If you don't have right belief and know what you believe, you're going to struggle in your walk with God. However, if all you have is right belief and it does not get into your heart, you're not a transformed person. You're just a person that's full of pride who idolizes doctrine above Jesus himself. And so what Jewish people believed is what we learn and what we know and what we study in Scripture, we need to pray down into our hearts so that we become what we know in our heads. And then ultimately it's not enough because here's the thing, you know, some people go drift over into just emphasizing the B part and what they do is they love to pray, they love to have services that are highly emotional and like just feel, but they say, well, what do you believe? Well, it ain't really about what you believe, brother, it's just about knowing, it's just about a relationship with Jesus. And all of a sudden they believe wrong things, but they have these great emotional experiences. You can get into error on that side too. So it's not just about knowing, but it's about becoming. But you balance what you're becoming based upon the root. you you got to be grounded in Scripture, right? Ultimately, so when I'm looking at my life at the beginning of any year, I'm looking at what am I learning? What, what do I need to shift? And, and I can tell you as a pastor, I'm young, I'm 34 years old, but even in the 10 years that I've really been preaching and pastoring and, and, and trying to minister to congregation, I've shifted some things that I believe. Like I've realized, hey, I'm wrong in this area. Anybody amen me? 
don't know if you realize this or not, but just because a dude is a pastor don't mean he got it all figured out just yet. You realize that, right? So there's some things that I've had to shift based on teaching and doctrine and my understanding of what God's Word says. But see, I don't just stop there. I'm praying it into myself so that I'm becoming more like Jesus. But then ultimately, we've got to look at as, as a church that we're not just learning and we're not just meeting and praying, but ultimately it is flowing out of the walls of this four church and we are impacting society around us. We know, we become, and then ultimately we do. And these three things have to be held in balance at all times in order for us to become more like Jesus. And here's the thing. If you all are going to become like Jesus, can I tell you this? I don't know if you realize this or not, but the purpose of salvation is not for you to not go to hell when you die and go to heaven. That's not the end goal. It's a, it's a great benefit of salvation, right? Thank God that when we're saved, we don't go to hell when we die. We go to heaven. Amen. Anybody amen me on that? Like, I'm glad about that. I'm really glad about that. I, I'm, I'm excited about it. But if you read Scripture in the New Testament, what it teaches is that your salvation is far deeper than that. Your salvation is about you being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. It's not just, hey, we get saved, we live pretty rough lives, we don't change any down here, but when we die, we get to go to heaven, thank God. No, right now he's trying to put heaven into you so that you are an expression of Christ in the earth around you. So that when we go to heaven, we look more like Jesus and we don't have that much transformation left to go through whenever we actually see him face to face. Amen. He wants to make you look like Jesus in the right here and now. And here's the thing. If I'm going to become like Jesus, if you're going to become like Jesus, I don't know if you realize this or not, all of us must change. That means we've got to change. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about change? Like if I am going to be the person God's called me to be, I must change. And you know, if, you, if you're married, you realize that every day, don't you? That you need to do some changing. Amen. You realize that every day. That if this thing's going to work out, we got to change. <laughs> and so transformation is the New Testament word that is used the most for this process. Here's what, let's read, let's read in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12 through 15. It says, since we have such a hope. Now what, what Paul is laying out, he's saying there was an old covenant, and the old covenant ministered death. Because nobody could obey the law, and therefore everybody stood up under the judgment of God, period. And they said, but the new covenant is not the ministry of death, but it is the ministry of the Spirit who gives life. And then he says, since we have such hope, we're very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the Old Covenant. He's saying when Jewish people open the Bible and read the Old Testament, he said when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. He's saying that when they read the Bible... A veil is over their hearts and they are still living under the old covenant because they do not realize that everything in Scripture from front to back, the stories about Joseph. Joseph is a type of Christ pointing you to the fact that, hey, there was a man that was going to come. He's going to be thrown into a pit, but he was going to be raised up out of that pit to, be, to sit at the right hand of the Father the same way that Joseph sat at the right hand of Pharaoh. All of these things are ultimately pointing us to Christ. Every sacrifice, every lamb offered, they were to see Christ, but he says when they see it, they don't see Jesus. So they read the Bible, but they don't see them. Now, I love what it says in verse 16. It says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. 
So now all of a sudden the Bible is given to you so that you can turn to the Lord and this veil is removed off your eyes. And no matter what you're reading, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way to the New Testament, it reveals Jesus Christ to you. Now, when we turn, this Bible becomes not just another book like any other book in the world, but it becomes a life-giving, life-transforming book. And here's what it says in verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Notice that we are all with unveiled face. Why does he say we all? Because in the old covenant, Moses went and he talked to God face to face, it says, as a man speaks to his friend. And he saw the glory of the Lord, but he even then only saw his back parts, the Bible says. He didn't even see the fullness of the glory, but it was so radiant. And because of the judgment of God and because of their sin, he had to put a veil over his face so that when he came down among the people, they couldn't look on it because of the judgment that was against them. When Jesus shows up, he goes on the mountain and his glory is fully revealed. When he comes off the mountain, they don't hide from from him, they run to him. Why? Because Jesus died for our sins. He washes away and offers us forgiveness so that we don't have to hide ourselves from God anymore, but we can run into the loving arms of the Father. And he says, now we all, with unveiled face, have an even greater and closer relationship to God through Jesus Christ than Moses himself had. And he says, when we read the Bible... We are looking with an unveiled face, and this is what's so essential. When you read the Bible, you're not just trying to get more Bible knowledge. Do you know that the Bible is not an encyclopedia of God facts? It is a living book, the Word of God, that when it is implanted into your heart, you behold the glory of the Lord. And see, that's my first point of this entire message, is that we are transformed by beholding the glory of the Lord. I know this is a little bit deep. I'm going to get more practical as we go through. My point being is that if you are going to become more like Jesus, it starts in the Word of God. It starts in Scripture and it is a book that you read in order to know Jesus. You don't want Bible knowledge for the sake of Bible knowledge. You want that book to bring you into an encounter with the living God where you behold Jesus. And in some, in some scriptures, like in, in a lot of verses, translations, it'll say we're beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And that mirror, in the, back then when they had mirrors, they didn't have good mirrors like us. You know what I'm saying? Like if I look in a mirror, I hope at least... I'm looking at my actual reflection. You know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, but, but they had polished bronze, and, and it was sort of warped, so you didn't get a full, clear image, so you would have to look from different angles in order to see the fullness. And he's saying the word there means that you're contemplating the Lord's glory, that you're looking at Jesus from different angles, and your mind is fixated on what he's done, on who he is, on how he ministers to people, on how he loves. And the more you think about him and contemplate his glory in Scripture, the Spirit gets activated in your heart and transforms you from one measure of glory to the next to make you look more and more like Jesus every time you crack open the book. Amen. Somebody might say, well, that's good, Clay. I like that. Amen. Amen. So this is the first thing that he brings us into is, is this place of where we do this. But here's the thing. When we talk about transformation, it's kind of a fancy word. It's the word metamorphosis in the Greek language. It's, it's metamorpho, right? We get the word metamorphosis from it. And the dictionary says it's this. It's a profound change in form from one stage to the next in the life history of an organism. 
as from the caterpillar to the pupa and from the pupa to the adult butterfly. So he's saying that this transformation in your life is the same. You, you look at the word and it's literally a metamorphosis. You, you, you were a little caterpillar that couldn't fly. You entered into a stage of transformation, a process of transformation. You entered into an incubation period of sorts and you come out a totally different creature. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. He wants to bring transformation. And here's my question. Is this transformation even possible? Because if you're like me, I think most of us live our lives. I remember whenever I was first really introduced to the Bible and Christianity, my biggest concern was, is this change actually possible? Can I be what the Bible tells me I ought to be? Can I actually do this thing? Like, have you ever been that? Have you ever just been so? Maybe some of you have been Christians for years and you've just sort of settled into this groove of this is who I am and I think I'll just go to church and sort of do the thing and stick into the routine. But as far as me actually becoming more like Christ, I'm not really interested in that. I think I'd rather just be like me. See, the Christian life is a call to self-denial. God don't necessarily want you to be like you. He wants Jesus to be manifested in you. And the old you is not the real you anyway. He knows who you are, but the real you is not going to become what you were designed to be until you yield yourself to Christ and allow Him to bring that transformation in your life. And see, the problem is not that we don't want to change. It's not even that we're not trying. Many of us try. How many of you all you ever, you just tried to change? I mean, even in your relationship, me and Andrea... Like every marriage, maybe it's Valentine's Day is coming up. Maybe we'll do a message on marriage here pretty soon just for fun, right? Those are always really interesting. But marriage will help you out in a lot of different ways. But, but that's the thing. When you're, when you're wrestling through marriage, what you're finding out, man, is I t- I, how many times have I told Andre, I'm sorry. I'll get better at that. You know what I'm saying? Anybody right here? Anybody this morning? I'm going to get better at this. Like I'll get better. And I, and I put out a valiant effort a lot of times. But sometimes I fail miserably. And I think, my God, how, how do I defeat who I am? You know what I'm talking about? How do, how do I overcome who I actually am inwardly? And, and the more and more I look at this and the more I look at what Jesus has done in Scripture and His lifestyle, I recognize that I'm going to ha- it's going to take some work and some cooperation with the Spirit of God in my life to change. But see, there's a guy, I've been reading several books by a guy named Dallas Willard, and he's kind of like the gr- guru of this word, uh, this term called spiritual formation. Okay, Now here's what he says spiritual formation is. He says spiritual formation in the tradition of Jesus Christ is the process of transformation of the inmost dimension of the human being, the heart, which is the same as the spirit or the will. It is being formed, really transformed, in such a way that it's the natural expression, that its natural expression comes to be the deeds of Christ done in the power of Christ. So he's saying internally there is this formation process by which your heart is literally transformed so that you are changed. That you can look at yourself 10 years ago and the the you you are now is different. Amen. And here's what I think we do as Christians. Like we get saved and we say, buddy, you should have known me before I got saved. Yeah, but what about since you've gotten saved? You know what I'm saying? When I got saved, the Lord set me free after about a year from a lot of crazy stuff. And I can go back and say, I can go back and say, man, you should have known me before I was saved because I was wild then. And now you looked at me, God saved me. But here's what the Lord's been saying to me. He said, but what about since then, Clay? What about since you got saved? 
Yeah, I delivered you from a lot of sin, but how is the joy of God being produced in your heart? Do you have genuine peace or are you just as anxious as the rest of the world? Are you genuinely loving people or are you finding that every single day you try harder, you're just more and more selfish than ever before? Anybody amen me, right? I feel, I feel that way sometimes. I think, is this possible to change? And so here's what I want you to understand. Number two, this point, every human being is always being spiritually formed into something for better or for worse. You're being spiritually formed whether you like it or not. If you never read another Bible verse, you're being spiritually formed. The world around you is shaping you. People around you are shaping What you watch on the television is shaping you. Everything you listen to is forming you. The conversations you have with your friends, your experiences, you are being formed into something. The question is not, are you a disciple? The question is, what are you a disciple of? Amen. It's not whether or not you're a disciple. Everybody in here is a disciple. Mike, the question is, what are you a disciple of? Are you a disciple of, of, of a certain political party? Are you a disciple of, of the, uh, the television series? Are you a disciple of a social media? What, are you, what is shaping you? What is forming you? What is causing you to become what you currently are? What are you being formed into? So as I branch off, this, this kind of comes again from Dallas Willard. I've gotten a lot of stuff from him recently. But if we go to this next, this next little thing, so if, if we look at my little triangle, right? We still good, y'all? My cute little triangle. So this is unintentional spiritual formation. Let me put it to you like this. You wake up tomorrow, you ain't got to do nothing. Don't even set your alarm clock. You just get up. And let the world come to you. You know what I'm saying? Just let it come. You're not intentional about anything. You're just going to let the world have you and do to you, what you whatever it needs to do, whatever it wants to do. So you get up. You are being formed tomorrow once again as you have been formed day after day. And unintentionally, you don't even have to try. This is what happens to every human being. First of all, we are formed by the stories that we believe. And, and it may be the stories that you believe about yourself, things that your parents have told you, experiences that you've had. Maybe something, a failure, a sin in your past that you committed that you're still living under shame from and it's become your identity. Well, I'll never be able to do this for God or with God because I've done this and I'm ashamed and I'm broken and I'll never be right before God again. And you, and you believe these stories about yourself. Or maybe, you know, you grow up and, and you're, you're a youngster and you go into college and they tell you how foolish Christianity is and they start teaching you evolution because it's so much far, far, far more brilliant. And you begin, to be, you begin to believe that somehow or another human beings are really like all of creation is not a, a, a part of God's design. All of creation was just some big kind of glorified accident where there was a bang in the universe and then all of a sudden this stuff just unfolded and what humans are is a highly evolved animal further on down the chain billions of years. And so really marriage and sex are just social constructs that limit us in feeling everything that we ought to feel and doing everything that we ought to do. And so we begin to believe that really sex is just a biological re release to be enjoyed as you so choose to do it. Amen. 
Which is why now the stories that the world believes is that it's okay to have sex with anybody at any time with whoever you want to and you don't even have to deal with the consequences of it. Because if you want to, you can even exterminate the fetus in your womb because at the end of the day, sex is for you and your enjoyment and your pleasure and you shouldn't have to deal with the consequences because it's your body. These are the stories that our world tells. These are the narratives that we believe. And when we believe these stories, it shapes who we are. And every day they they talk about it over and over again. When it comes to COVID, when it comes to the news, what do they say on both sides, Democrat or Republican? Oh, the narrative. Oh, the narrative. Oh, they're trying to convince you of this narrative. Yes, they are trying to convince you of a narrative. There are millions of stories out into the world, but they're designed for a specific purpose. They're designed to shape you. They want you to become something. They're making disciples. The world and Satan is making disciples at a far more consistent rate than the Christian church is. Because even our Christians indoctrinate themselves with what's on the TV more than what's in the Word of God. And so we are shaped and formed by the stories we believe, but secondly, we're shaped and formed by our habits. What you get up and do on a daily basis is ultimately what you're becoming. What you do on a daily basis is what you are slowly, day by day, becoming. Whatever habits they may have. I've got bad habits. Like, I realize them all the time. Andre and I, again, we talk about That's why it's good to have a wife. You know what I'm saying? Because you can talk about your bad habits together. Amen. She's going to be mad at me for saying some of this stuff, probably. She's the sweetest ever. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just, I'm so blessed to be married to Andre. Like, you can't imagine the shape I'd be in if I didn't. And, I, and that's true. I cannot lie. So, but our habits, our daily habits, and here's the thing. Habits are funny, aren't they? Because you get into them, like, whether it be when you get home, first thing you do is just hit the couch. I get that. Like, and, and, and there's, there's things that we don't even have to discipline ourselves to do. I, I was thinking about this, for example. I remember when I was a kid, like I was 10, 11 years old, I smoked my first cigarette. Anybody remember that beautiful thing? <laughs> Amen. Let me get to a point here. There are things you do when you're young, like like I smoked my first cigarette. It choked me to death. And I'm thinking, this is nasty. Why would anybody in the world smoke this thing? But you know what? It was cool, and I needed to be cool. And so every day I would force myself (gasps) to smoke a cigarette. And I learned how to tolerate it. And slowly I didn't just tolerate it. You know what? I kind of began to like the process of it. I like the lighting of it. I like the lighters you could buy. I like Zippo lighters. I like the process of going and buying a pack of cigarettes. I like packing the cigarette. All of a sudden I began to maybe enjoy the smell of a cigarette. Until slowly by the time I was 16, 17, 18, I was flat out addicted to cigarettes. And I can tell you thing and thing again. Like anybody, there ain't nobody took their first drink of bourbon and said, mmm, that is delicious. Nobody. You shaped your longings and desires through a bad habit over time that changed what you loved. When I was a little kid, I used to, Gert used to take care of me. This, old, this woman named Gert used to take care of me. And we would go in early in the morning, I'm about five years old, and we'd eat bacon and we would drink coffee. And she poured in the saucer and I'd drink it right out of the saucer at f- five years old. And I was like, oh, it's gross. And she put cream and sugar in it. And I, it'd be so sweet, man. I was like, oh, this is delicious. Give me some more. So I'm drinking coffee like crazy. So I've been a coffee addict for a long time. 
But over the years, what I came to find is black coffee, I didn't like that much because I'd gotten used to cream and sugar. But at this point, as I've grown, my longings have changed. And I would kill a man after three days of not drinking coffee for one black sip <laughs> of, the, of the hardcore coffee you've ever dreamt of. My point being is I don't, even, I don't have to wake up and say, I don't have to wake up and say, I need, I, I'm going to have to discipline myself to drink a cup of coffee. No, I drink coffee because I love it. What you love, your habits develop your loves and your longings. And the problem is, is that so many of us have bad habits that our loves and our longings are way off kilter. We love comfort and laziness so much so that our habits are only go home and binge TV. Look, watch some TV every now and then if you want to, but I'm telling you, it is destroying our lives with just constant binging and not any, any type of spiritual development in our lives whatsoever. You know what I'm saying? I love TV shows as much as the next person, but there are things in our lives that it's just a constant habit that is, that is deforming us. And I'm beginning to come, become aware of the fact that if I don't implement some changes in my habits, my loves and my longings, I'm going to start enjoying things that are actually destructive. I'm going to start loving things that are actually harmful. This is how we enter into addiction. This is how all of these things begin to take over our lives. So we're formed by our habits. And what you love has more effect on you and on your life than what you know to be true in your head. Because here's the thing. You know to be true in your head that it would be better for you if you got up at 5 a.m. and prayed. You know it would be better in your head. But you love sleep. Amen. Amen. So my point being is we have to get new habits in order to reshape our longings because our habits get into our mind. They get into our psyche. They shape who we are. And then thirdly is relationships. So we're shaped by the stories we believe. We're shaped by our habits. And then we're shaped by our relationships. And this is pretty simple. You really are who you, you become who you're around, don't you? You dress like the people you're around. You talk like the people you're around. And those relationships that you get together with, and here's the thing, most of the time you select relationships just based on your self-preference. Are they like you? Do you like them? And, and, and you get into this and slowly you become the people that you're around. And that happens in an environment. And literally, you, you know this to be true, right? How many of you know, you know people that grew up in Clay County and they moved out of Clay County and they, they intentionally changed their accent? You know what I'm talking about? They started talking proper. They called ice, ice. You know what I'm talking about? They, they do that. But here's the thing. We have an environment that shapes us. Clay, here's, if you grow up in Lexington or you grow up in Louisville, you're in an environment that is trying to form you into something than, different than what Clay County is trying to form you into. Clay County is a special breed, y'all. I don't know if you realize that or not. Like, we got our own language down here. Instead of saying, aren't you, we say, ain't you. And our language and so what we're formed into is this group of people that the, the world just believes, well, they're uneducated, they're ignorant, they're hillbillies, they're rednecks, and maybe rightfully so. But even in a community, in your environment. Now, but but also, also this, what's your home life like? What kind of situation did you grow up in? Did you have a mother there? Did you have a father there? Were, they dealing, were you dealing with poverty? Were you dealing with addiction? Were you abused as a child? These environments, all of these things, the stories we believe, our habits and our relationships wrapped around our environment that we grow up in and we live in form us into something. And oftentimes that something does not look that great. 
And all of this happens over time. This is why when we talk about prayer and fasting at the beginning at 21 days, you know, you really ain't going to see a great deal of transformation in 21 days, y'all. I know we want to because that's the way that we live in America. We want something quick. We want it now. But you're not really going to see transformation in 21 days. It takes a lifetime to get to where you're at. It's going to take another lifetime to get you to look like Jesus. It happens over time and it happens through our experiences. What we experience changes us. And so the question is, if I'm unintentionally just being shaped by the world around me, how am I going to offset the world's pressures to intentionally become more like Jesus and not the world around me? Now let me give you two quick myths about how we change. Because I think a lot of times people just believe this stuff. Number one is the myth is all you need to know is the Bible. And, I, and I'm a Bible guy, man. Like I just told you the first step is that we in the Bible, you need it foundationally. You need doctrine foundationally. You need teaching foundationally. But if all you have is the Bible, you're probably not going to change, honestly. Because those have to become practices. You can hear the Word and not be doers of the Word. And so even in, back in the day, Martin Luther, when he, when he started the Reformation, right back in the 1500s, he believed that sanctification happened by two things. The preaching of the gospel, which was just basically a sermon, what you're hearing now, and also the sacraments. So he was really kind of Catholic in that. He believed that you could come to church on Sunday, hear a sermon preach, and take communion, and you'd be transformed. And I will say this, that to some degree, yeah, there's something good in that, but it is just one small aspect of your full and total transformation. There's a lot more going on than just simply that. But see, we live in a culture that's been formed by the Enlightenment where a guy named Rene Descartes said, hey, I think, therefore I am. But can I tell you, how many of you, you get up, especially in January, maybe even you've, you've listened to these sermons and you say, you know what, I think I want to do this and I'm going to become a different person. How many of you, you've thought to do something and not done it? That's why Rene Descartes is Rene Day wrong. Amen. <laughs> because if you could think and therefore be, we could just sit here and download stuff like The Matrix. We can sit here and say, you know what? I think I'm going to download love into me. I will be a more loving person. I think it, boom, I am. You're not. You can think about all kinds of things. Putting it into practice is a different thing. Becoming that person is a different thing. This is why the Reformation was an amazing thing. Thank God for the Reformation. It helped us a lot. But Martin Luther paved the way, but he fell a little bit short on some of the sanctification of the deeper processes of spiritual growth and transformation. Let me tell you something. There ain't no theologian got it all mapped out. You can be a Wesleyan, Calvinist. You can be all those things. Not one man has it all figured out. We go to the scriptures and we, might, we, we draw from all of these different men throughout history and we see the totality of what everybody has learned and we bring it back to scripture and we say, okay, I'm not just following any one tradition and locking myself into that. I want the fullness of Jesus. I want to look at it from different angles, be multifaceted. I want to become more like Christ. And so why he gave us a couple of really good aspects, but see, that's the thing. We do the same thing now in our own church. Basically, we center everything around the sermon, and we don't even really put the sacraments on a very high level. Like, we'll drink it out of a plastic cup, which is a little bit spooky if you think about it. I mean, you got 12 men in the beginning that sat down around a meal in deep fellowship and love for one another. Took time. 
It wasn't something that was rushed over a one-minute, two-minute, three-minute song where we opened up a plastic cup, but they had a meal. They had the wine. They had the bread. They enjoyed fellowship with one another, and they realized that they were gathering in love for one another around the sacrament. That's transformative. That's why small groups, I think, you know, when we take communion, I think it's even better in a context of something much more intimate. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. My point is we've tried to package everything into a quick fix, and we think that somehow we're going to become more like Jesus doing the system of things that we do. No, it's got to go deeper than church on Sunday, folks. It must go deeper than church on Sunday. But secondly, number two is, well, all you need is the Bible. No, you need the Bible, but you need more than that. But secondly, a myth is you don't need to do anything. It's all God. And this happens in basically two broad spectrums of, 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 uh, of, of church. And I've been in, in, in different camps. But, you know, one camp is like, well, you know what, Clay, you don't even really need to prepare a sermon or a message or study or anything like that. Just get up, let God have his way. Amen. Can I, can I tell you Can I tell you that that's good sometimes? There are times when I have studied, and I, I used to preach three, four sermons a week. I have time to study for that many, so I'd have to get up. I'm going to tell you, I used to write like two notes on a, on a sticky pad, and I just put it on there and be like, let's go. Well, whatever comes to my mind, we're going to go after it. Now, they probably weren't the most well-developed sermons that I preached, Amen. There's a time that you must release yourself to the anointing of the Holy Spirit and allow Him to have His way. But to say that it's all God, so there's no preparation, no training, no study, that, that, is, that is not biblical. It's not biblical and it is dangerous. In order for me to yield myself to the power of the Holy Spirit the most properly and powerfully, I prepare myself for those moments. If I study and fill myself with the Word of God, well, I can be in a public place and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit move upon me and He has something to draw from. If these men are up here worshiping and leading worship and they've been playing the piano in all kinds of different ways and playing their guitar in all kinds of different ways and the Spirit moves on them to go a different direction, well, see, they're well prepared to go in that direction. And the Holy Spirit can then lead them. So it's not just all God in that sense. But here's another, on, on the opposite side of that camp, I had a conversation with a guy in a theological camp one time, and he told me this. He made this statement to me. He said, you have no participation in your sanctification. He said, you don't get any role whatsoever in whether God changes you or not. Either God will change you or He won't. And I said, that's not biblical. He's calling us into a place, he says, that you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. There is, there is a, with my transformation, once I'm saved with my transformation, he says, okay, there's something where I'm calling you to become a disciple. You've got to enter into a joint effort with God. Dallas Willard says it like this. I love what he says. I've been quoting a lot of him. I'm going to quote more of him. He says, grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. We have a problem today in evangelical circles. We're not only saved by grace, we're paralyzed by it. Spiritual formation is something that requires us to take wise steps in accomplishing it. The old man will not be put off and the new man put on unless I do something. And indeed, unless I do the right things. And so the need as we approach the topic of spiritual formation is to understand as well as we can what is our part and what is God's part. 
So what I need you to understand that in your, and I'm not talking about you getting saved or salvation. You cannot be saved unless the Holy Spirit draws you. For, so for you theologians that would resist me and fight me after service, no. Okay, I'm talking about once you're saved, your salvation and your personal transformation to the image of Christ, He calls you to participate in that. He's saying you have to enter into a joint effort. And grace does not say, hey, because, because if you say, well, for me to change, if I get up and pray, that would be a work. <laughs> That's goofiness. This is a relationship with Jesus. This is a relationship with Jesus. And you're not putting in effort to pray and seek the Lord for your salvation, to earn your salvation. You're doing it because you are saved and you want a deeper relationship with Him. You want to look more like Him. And he says, so what is our part and what is God's part is essential. Is essential. Amen. So it's not, i got to put in some effort if I'm going to be, become more like Jesus. You agree with that? We're still, we're still good, aren't we? All right, last slide right here, I think, as far as the, this is my last image. So if I'm going to be intentional about my spiritual transformation and I'm going to become more like Christ, i got to get up every day with something in mind. Okay, and I'm going to combat and counter the stories that this world is telling me with the truth of God's Word and teaching. So that means that rather than believe everything that's on the news and rather than believe everything that's in the world and, and college professors are telling me, I'm going to go into the Word of God and I'm even going to come to church on Sunday and hear what the Word of God is preached. I'm going to open my Bible and let that begin to shape me. I'm going to let doctrine, teaching begin to shape my worldview and transform who I am in my mind and cast down the lies that I believed about myself and let God's Word begin to shape me. So... Number three, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. I've got to get my mind lined up with what God's Word says. And Romans 12, 2 says this exact same thing. And do not be conformed to this world. Do not allow this world to press you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So here's the thing. If I'm going to, to, to transform, if I'm going to deny the stories that I believe in this world that they're trying to indoctrinate me with, then I need to get the doctrine of God's Word. I need to get that through teaching. If I must, I'm going to listen to podcasts. And one thing that I'm going to encourage people to do, you know, I, I've been talking with my buddy Richard a lot lately, and I'm always encouraging people to read around me. And he's, he's been reading different books, and he's, he's reading some books, and he'll send me things that are just unbelievable. And here's the thing. When you read good books about the Bible, or you read good curriculum surrounding Scripture itself, what you find is you would have never thought that way unless you read it. But instead of reading, what we choose to do is spend hours upon hours on Facebook, Instagram, watching Netflix and binging it, and there is nothing in there that is making you more like Christ. Not one thing. I know some of y'all are getting aggravated at this point. Clay, you're actually asking me to do something with my relationship with Jesus. <laughs> Why can't we just come to church? I'm saying you can. You're just going to continue to carry the heavy yoke of the world. You're going to continue to be anxious and fearful and broken and unhealed. And you're going to continue to be angry at your family. You're going to continue to not manifest the love of God around people. You're going to continue to be selfish. You're going to be deformed by this world and the things that you feed yourself on and feed your soul on. And we're transformed by the renewing of our mind and we counter the stories the world tells us with the truth of God's Word. Go back to that image, if you would, really quickly. 
So this image, so we're transformed by the truth and teaching, but also we're transformed by disciplines. This means that when I wake up in the morning, I practice spiritual disciplines in place of my bad habits. And this is hard. But right now, like even during the prayer and fasting, you know what I've tried to do? I've tried to say, you know what? I'm not going to watch Netflix. I'm going to read instead. I'm not going to scroll social media and spend hours doing that. I'm going to pray instead. I'm not going to eat tons of junk food. I'm going to take a season of prayer and fasting. And I'm gonna I'm gonna begin to implement these spiritual. I'm not gonna further my phone addiction and spend eight hours on my phone a day. I'm gonna take a day where I actually turn my phone off for 24 hours. I'm gonna practice spiritual disciplines that transform my desires and my longings so that I'm beginning to open myself up to the Holy Spirit to be changed into something completely different than what this world is trying to form me into. If you are going to resist this world and the devil, you have got to go strongly in the opposite direction and say no to some things. And it's gonna be uncomfortable, but it will change your longings and ultimately your loves, and you will begin to love things. People say all the time, I hate reading until they begin reading. Then they love it. I just don't understand the Bible until they actually exercise discipline in reading the Bible and studying the Bible and then all of a sudden revelation explodes in their heart. It's going to take discipline. And you're going to have to reverse that in order to be transformed and intentional about your spiritual formation. But this also takes place in the context of community, right? So how's relationships different from community? Well, relationships are the people that I like to hang out with. And I, I was talking to somebody about this the other day about small groups. Because honestly, what we do in small groups is we try to say, well, we want to put the same age group together, people in the same context of life, people that are friends and know one another. That's really the worst thing to do for a small group. It's the worst thing you can do. I know nobody wants to do that. But I'm talking to my small group leaders. You're actually better off to mix up a jumble of people who have different contexts of life. Old and young, kids and people who have had kids. Because what happens is community is an intentional decision to say, you know what, I probably wouldn't choose this person as a friend, but they're in Christ and I'm in Christ and we're going to walk this out together and we're going to love one another intentionally and be shaped and formed by one another. I've got friends in my life that were it not for Christ, they probably wouldn't be in my life. But some of my very best friends, you know what, if it weren't for Christ, me and Tim Wilmer wouldn't be best friends. You know, we would not have had that interaction. There are people that if it were not for Christ, community is a discipline. Relationships, man, you can pick who you want to hang out with. But you have to challenge yourself. Eat, like when you go to somewhere and you know, look, I'm as introverted as the next person. I want to set somebody next to that I'm comfortable but what I've had to discipline myself to do is set by people that I don't yet know. You understand what I'm saying? Because this is about community. And what happens is, is when we have the Word of God and we're practicing spiritual disciplines, we know we have the right belief about Jesus, but we're becoming like Jesus, and then ultimately we're expressing Jesus into the community of believers around us. And in the context of that, the Holy Spirit, not our environment, not how you grew up, not the fact that you were abused or you were hurt. No, the Holy Spirit is now taking root in that as you practice these things, and He's transforming you into the image of Christ. Now the Holy Spirit is the place that we live and work from. And here's the last thing. See, this happens over time through trials. You're not going to bear fruit and be transformed next week when you start putting spiritual disciplines into practice. Jesus realized that if you're going to become a kingdom person, it was going to take place over a lifetime of discipleship. Over a lifetime of discipleship. 
And I know this message probably has been a little bit heavy. Maybe I've got heated at times. But here's the thing. This is not a word of condemnation in the least. This is a word that says, you know what? You think the easy route and the route of comfort is the way to life. But Jesus said that if you hang on to your easy life, if you hang on to your life, your life of comfort, eventually you'll lose it. You'll find yourself committing sins that you didn't imagine you'd commit. You'll find yourself addicted to things that you never wanted to be addicted to. You'll find yourself with your family broken. You'll find yourself in a state of anxiety, running to the doctor to try to get on some kind of a different medication to soothe the fear and the panic that you're doing. You'll find yourself doing all these things when he's saying, no, you don't have to, you don't have to necessarily go that route. You can at least begin to come over here in this direction and take my easy yoke. And if you will live differently, you can start to bear the fruit of love. You can start to bear the fruit of joy and peace and you can be transformed and you can become a person who doesn't worry anymore because you're rooted and grounded in trusting the God of all creation who is over all things and you've got a relationship with Him. You know you're going to be okay because you've been talking to Him all week. And He's been ministering to your heart. You've not just been feeding yourself on the, on the news feed of how crazy this world. The news is ridiculous, y'all. You can turn it on two different sides, the right or the left, and they're saying the same things about each other on each side. And you know what? If you ask me, I'd probably say one's more right than the other, but at the end of the day, they're still both toxic. They're not speaking ultimately the truth of what God's Word is saying. And so we counter these bad habits with disciplines. We counter our relationships with community and in community, you get a couple of different things. One of the things is you get exposure. Like, and I was talking about this in marriage. You know, one of the good things about being in relationship with people is you get exposed, don't you? I was talking to a buddy, a buddy yesterday. And this week, you know, so, sometimes people come up to me and, and start confessing things to me. And I'm like, this is all right. Yeah, I guess. Just tell me, tell me your sins. And I'm no priest, but you know, the Bible does say confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And when I'm, when I'm, see the thing, before I got married, son, I was a holy man. You know what I'm talking about? That's a joke, actually. You didn't laugh. You actually believe that I thought that. Do you know that I was the same, do you know that I was the same person I was like before the day that I got married? But then when I started having to live with somebody, I get exposed, don't I? My selfishness gets exposed. And in community, you're going to get exposed a little bit. Some of your rough edges are going to show up. And you know what people do in the church? They don't like people, so they run from it. I don't like that person. Well, they're this and that. And they run from it because they don't like it. Do you realize that God has probably sent that person into your life to shape you and change you into the image of Christ? You need to embrace the people that aggravate you the most. If your end goal is looking more like Jesus... If your end goal is being selfish and getting what you want all the time, then you need to go on hating them. Amen. That's good advice this morning. Because we're going to get exposed and you're going to have to deal with people and things that you wouldn't deal with otherwise. But secondly, you get around people that also encourage you. You get exposed and you have to deal with rough people, but you also get around people that when you're down in the dumps, man, they pick you up and they encourage you. I told one of my buddies yesterday, I said, when I think about the fact that ultimately stuff happens from leadership top down, and I say you reproduce what you are, I get scared about our church because if all of y'all become like me, we may be in bad shape. I'm not the goal. Jesus is. 
But I'm telling you this, I'm committed to following him and letting him transform my life. And I'm going to fail sometimes. And I'm going to be broken. It's going to be hard. But as we pursue him together as a body, he's going to make us more like him. We're going to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And all this happens over time, and it happens through the trials of life. Let me read this last verse, James 1, 2 and 4. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything anything. And so what he's saying is, you know what? Some of the trials in our life, we think the end goal of life is for God to give us ultimate happiness and pleasure. It's not. And so when we pray, God, give us this, give us this. And when he doesn't give it to us, we say, God, you've let us down. You've hurt us. We're mad. We're upset. And he's saying, no, you don't realize that that's not my end goal because one day in the future, you're going to have everything you've ever dreamed of. You're going to be with Christ. But right now in this life, we live in a broken world. And he's saying, if you can receive it, some of the trials that you're running from are actually in place in order to make you more like Christ if you allow it to do its work in you. If through your trials and through your hardest times, you come to Christ, he will use it as an incubator for your sanctification and your transformation. He's going to make you more like Jesus. So he says, rejoice. And here's my last point. We are transformed. And I already said this, but putting it together in one nice statement. We are transformed through the teaching of the truth and the practice of spiritual disciplines in the context of community by the power of the Holy Spirit over time through the trials of life. There's a lot to that, I understand, but all of these things working together is what is going to make us more like Jesus. So my question as we finish is who are you actually becoming? Have you ever thought about that? Like if I stay at the current rate that I'm at in my life and I look into the future, five years, ten years, what do I look like? Do I look more like Christ? There's moments, I'll be honest with you, even as a pastor, there are moments I've told people. When I started this life with Jesus, man, I was radical. I was praying and fasting. I was in silence and solitude. You'd be lucky and hard-pressed to find me most of the time. I'd be in a mountain somewhere connecting with the Lord. My dad knows about it. He couldn't find me. He didn't know where I was at. I was outside somewhere communing with the Holy Spirit. I was a crazy person for Jesus. And then I got in ministry and became a pastor. And all these burdens came on my life and all these different things came on. And I slowly allowed this thing to conform me back to where I was, I was distancing myself from the Lord and didn't even realize it while I was being a successful pastor. How's that happen? You can be in ministry, you can come to church, you can put on the face, you can do all those things and still not be a follower of Jesus, still not have a relationship with Jesus. You can hear a message on Sunday and go home and put none of this into your life and not really truly know the Lord. And what he's inviting us into is this place where we follow him because he wants us to become more like him. Amen. I want you to bow your heads where you're at. Because right now, I'm not just calling you, and and because Jesus didn't. He didn't call you. The gospel is this, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That he was buried, and that on the third day, he was resurrected, raised from the dead. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and all authority has been given to him. He died on that cross and was raised again from the dead so that if your faith is placed in Him, 
you will receive justification, salvation, and eternal life. That is the gospel. But see, Jesus calls us not only to believe, to repent, to believe, but then also to enter into this lifestyle and to follow Him. So wherever you're at, maybe this is the moment that you say, the Spirit of God is drawing me. I need to repent and I need to put my faith in Jesus. That's a great starting point. Jesus is also calling you to follow Him with your life. And so, Father, we surrender our hearts to You afresh. We confess our sins to You, God. We ask You to forgive us. And Holy Spirit, I ask You to do that work of salvation in people's hearts, Lord, that need to turn to You and believe. But I also ask You, Holy Spirit, to empower us to begin to follow You like never before and to begin to put these practices into our life, Lord Jesus, so that Your Holy Spirit can begin to transform us because at the end of the day, Your Word says that, Behold, now we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that we shall be like Him when we see Him for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself, even as Jesus Himself is pure. And so, Lord, give us the power of the Spirit to purify ourselves as we wait for Your coming. Lord, we trust You to do this work in our hearts. And God, You know every need, so I pray, Father, that You begin that work in every heart this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to worship the Lord together. This altar is open.